0: Hey guys, welcome back to the self confidence project. I'm your host, Kimberly Hill. And we're talking about all things, life, confidence, relationships, what gets you up in the morning, what doesn't get you up in the morning. That's what we talk about in this podcast. I'm super glad you're here. If you're the first time tuning in, subscribe to my channel, hit the like button, spread the love and uh, looking forward to getting into another amazing episode with you guys today. So what are we waiting for? Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Self-Confidence Project, and I'm really honored to be bringing on a guest today, a gentleman by the name of Daniel Moody, who is not only a men's coach like myself, but a photographer, a songwriter, husband and father. Uh, He's worked as a commercial photographer for 15 years until a radical shift in his life led him into the coaching realm. So Daniel's had a lifelong struggle with uh, both anxiety and depression. uh, And that came to a head when his marriage and family appeared to be falling apart. But Daniel had a psychedelic experience, which really opened the gates to a deeper sense of meaning and allowed for a level of healing and transformation uh, that was in his experience and uh, in his in his words were by all accounts miraculous so we're going to dive into that today and and for the first time in his life after this experience he spoke with his own voice his constant anxiety was reduced so dramatically uh, that he could finally feel joy and play with his children he's regained the trust and romance in his marriage his anger and resentment began to recede, leaving room for deep gratitude. And now he works with men using the methods he's learned from his transformation to develop things like body awareness, radical self-acceptance and responsibility and lifestyle design. And he has a message for everyone. He wants you all to know you are amazing animals that deserve love and wildness brought back into the center of your life. So Daniel, welcome to the show. So lovely to have you here. How are you doing today?
1: I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. So you know, hearing that kind of back, is, does anything surprise you about your own story? Is it is it a com- comfortable hearing it back?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's been a strange trip. Yeah. That's that's probably the gist of it.
0: I can imagine. So I want to know, I'm curious, tell me more about this, you know, this life changing psychedelic experience. How did it come about? Where did you have this experience? Was it your first time? Uh, Give us the details.
1: It wasn't my first time. Uh, I tripped a few times before. And this time was markedly different because uh, it was a heroic dose, about 4.5 grams. And I had an intention um i sort of always have
0: of of what daniel
1: of uh psilocybin mushrooms
0: got it got it just just clarifying because there's a few other things out there could (laughs) have (laughs) been
1: yes 4.5 grams of psilocybin and i i had an intention going into it it was something along the lines of i wanted to understand i wanted to understand unity uh balance i had been reading a lot. because i've basically just i've been on this spiritual quest my entire life uh i it, it didn't actually bring me a tremendous amount of um joy or pleasure it was more like a process of self annihilation because i was sort of in battle with myself um mm. Yeah, my my whole life was sort of a performance to one degree or another. I remember having this crippling imposter syndrome, and I mean, this boiled down to even the most intimate of moments with my wife. Um, it it was uh, it was so self limiting that I think that I was constantly on the lookout for an escape. Right. And for me, uh, for some reason, I had this crazy fixation of going inward. So. Mm-hmm. Kind of being a psychonaut, uh, you know, wanting to jump into the, the depths of the unknown, uh, was, was really appealing to me, and so I went into this particular journey and uh, this particular trip looking for my world to be blown apart, and that's exactly what happened. So and without Daniel, going into,
0: yeah, Go you know, I know, I know there's so much to talk about with this. Is this something you just you knew you could take that dose and did it on your own. Did you go somewhere? Was someone guiding you? What was like the specifics of the experience?
1: I had a friend uh, and he was not my guide. We both took the same amount and um, we had to split apart uh, during the trip. And I, I eventually found myself um, in a really bad place really quickly. Mm -hmm. And I was very afraid because my sense of time got distorted. So I sort of felt like I was like in collapsing infinity. So I was like, oh, Oh, no, this is going to be an infinite, (laughs) an infinitely long bad trip. My God, what have I done? Yeah. And then the voice of my wife was in my head telling me, you silly animal, go take care of your body.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I was literally like clutching to my own chest, just like, thank you. Thank you. And went and stripped naked and got in bed. And uh, then just relaxed. And finally, once I relaxed, um, well, I I don't know how long passed, but enough time passed for me to have gone through some sort of dramatic opening um, that (laughs) afterwards, um, immediately afterwards and then in the weeks that followed came with such a glow. I mean, I I knew about these things. I'd experienced the glow before, Mm -hmm. but there was something profoundly different. And I, I ferociously like dove into reading um, spiritual literature, trying to put some sort of framework around it. Something made sense, uh, yet it was, of course, ineffable. And so um, I went through that sort of uh, inner struggle of trying to put words to something that I couldn't. Right. And, and eventually, it, it sort of simplified for me as I had found a new place within my own body.
0: So... I'm hearing words like unity, balance, dramatic opening, glow, and they obviously have really significant meaning to you. Who was Daniel before the experience and who is Daniel after the experience?
1: Daniel before the experience was a very scared little boy. And I can't say that I'm not a scared little boy anymore because utterly what happened was that I fully embraced the scared little boy. hmm And the Daniel afterwards just has the opportunity to be a hell of a lot bigger simply because I'm not constrained by those fears. Mm.
0: So you're still, I'm imagining you still experience having fears, but you just feel more equipped to deal with them. Is that right?
1: Yes. Mm. My fear is still just as present as it used to be it's diminished in severity but the the radical difference is that i do not identify with it anymore
0: yeah okay yeah that's a it is a radical difference right being thinking that i am a fearful person versus in this moment because of what's occurring i'm experiencing fear exactly yeah and i have the tools to deal with it or i can tap the inner workings of my mind and know that I've gotten through fear before, and I will get through it again. And, and just really looking at things with a, a totally different perspective. So tell me then how, cause it was your wife's voice that really kind of, it sounds like it had this little moment for you where you went from kind of a bad trip to really dramatically opening yourself and, and relaxing into the experience. Um, do you feel gratitude towards her? Like, how, have you shared with her what happened in that experience? Has that cl- uh, closened your relationship?
1: My God. Yeah. Um, I remember in the trip, one of the only things that I vividly remember was this feeling of sort of being ripped apart in an in a utterly blissful way and just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was the first, I would say it's the first time I ever truly understood what gratitude meant because it wasn't clouded by any other emotion. Yeah. And when I came back, I told my wife just how much she had saved me, not just in that moment, but in our lives leading up to it. She was the voice in my head telling me to take care of myself. hmm and the place that we were at just before this trip was literally on the verge of separation. And we had tried for a long time to talk it out. I mean, both of her, both she and I are, are really excellent at communicating. Mm-hmm. But well, even, <laughs> th- even that is, is not enough if there is, if, if what you're communicating is your illusions. Yeah. So I, I would say that when, when I saw her next, I had this profound realization that the majority of the problems in our relationship were uh, my own projections. Mm-hmm. And because they weren't present for the first time, I finally got to see her clearly. Yeah. And got to see the, the unbelievable gift to me that she has been. So yeah, I would say that it, it changed our marriage. It, it changed me. And it also changed the way that I saw my relationships because I realized that I was creating my relationships.
0: Yeah. Um, I think it's so important for us to remember that like in relationships, there's a conscious choice to continue to be with that person. And when we stop looking at our relationships from a place of gratitude, like grateful for that person being in our lives, uh, it can go pretty sideways pretty quickly, right? Because yeah. when we replace gratitude with things like anger or resentment or bitterness, uh, there can be hard holes to get out of. And 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 Danielle, I'm curious when you say like the uh, uh you were like projecting, what were some of the things that you were projecting in your life and in relationships?
1: Me and my wife had done a lot of work around trying to understand ourselves to try to get to the bottom of what, what was happening between us. And we, one of the things that was really useful was understanding the Enneagram Yeah. Um, because that gave us a tremendous amount of insight into some of our deeper unconscious motivations. Well, t- and well also- tell,
0: t- tell the listeners what the, I know the Enneagram, but just, just give a little description of it because I'm imagining a lot of people have no clue what you're talking about when you say the Enneagram.
1: The Enneagram is this very essentially an ancient technology, something that um, has been popularized with uh, a psychological bent where they have uh, nine points on this Enneagram and each one can represent essentially a personality profile, Mm -hmm. but that's usually the way people are introduced to it as if that's all it is, but it's actually something that is a, a a profound tool for, for understanding the function of things. Mm-hmm. And when you apply it psychologically to a person, um, it helps you see things like your deep motivations yeah. and sort of the core wound essentially and why why you go about doing things the way that you do. And it has mm-hmm. this really awesome thing called the unknown knowns. There's this, once you hear them and once you see them for, the self, for yourself, you realize that you've known about these all the time. And for me, I'm a two uh, the The helper helper. and the Mm -hmm. two derives the helper. Yeah. They derive a tremendous amount of meaning from helping other people, but Mm -hmm. it's also sort of a transactional love where I'm going to help you in a hope that that will make me worthy enough to get love from. you. Ah,
0: yeah. That's the dark side of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's the dark side. So if you're unconscious of that, you, you can fall into that loop and basically become extraordinarily resentful, which I have been for most of my life.
0: Yeah. People-pleasing. And uh, there's a fantastic book out there uh, that really highlights a lot of the issues of being a people-pleaser. It's called No More Mr. Nice Guy by uh, Robert Glover. And it really talks about, I guess, the negative manifestations of being a people-pleaser, right? Because pleasing others and being a helper and being in a, a support role is fantastic. But you're, but you're right when you say that if it's in order to get something back so that I can feel worthy or love, then it's, that's a tough place to be.
1: Yes. And it breeds resentment, which is one of the most toxic things you can feel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When we're resentful in life and of our partners, uh, it leads to contempt, right? And contempt is one of the number one predictors of marital divorce, right? When yes. we're looking at our partners as less than less than us. So just a, uh, just for the listeners, the the nine kind of categories, and, and from my experience doing the Neogram, you can kind of be like mainly one, but also have a backup. Is not that, that what your experience was too?
1: Yes. Uh, yeah. You can have a wing, essentially. I'm, yeah. I'm a two with a one wing, which means that uh, the one is the perfectionist. So I, I tend to lean towards perfection. So I often get overly serious with myself mm-hmm. and expect myself to be perfect so the two my illusion was that i'm going to be the perfect man in order to have everyone love me especially Mm. my wife and i'm going to be the perfect husband and the perfect father yeah but unfortunately um trying to be that does not equal that
0: no well perfection i guess in my dictionary doesn't really exist
1: (laughs) exactly and so it's it's a it's basically a trap yeah um, and my wife is uh, a four or five, like right in between the two of those. And the five, in particular, um, derives a, a tremendous amount of uh, not only you know purpose and self understanding, but also just the capacity to recharge when she's alone.
0: Yeah. So
1: you're asking, what are some of the the dynamics that that were really challenging in our relationship? And so I'm a two, I'm a lover. I'm an open heart. I want closeness. The two does not like boundaries at all. In fact, Mm -hmm. we're really prone to enmeshment where, where our emotions just sort of, uh, where I can't tell where I end and you begin. And I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I was raised in that. I'm, you know, that was sort of my, uh, around my core wound and she needs to be alone. Mm. She needs space. So it's Mm. like, we are like a, uh, directly antithetical to each other's basic like recharge settings
0: right so you so, would almost i'm imagining you'd try and really move towards her for closeness and it might cause her to back away from you
1: exactly yeah. so me perceiving that i was co- in my codependent assumptions i perceived her as the source of my my healing Mm. And, and, and of my happiness and like I needed her to open up to me in order for us to be all right
0: yeah. and I didn't
1: realize I didn't realize until this experience that it was even possible for me to be satisfied enough in myself to allow her space and autonomy yeah. and still be able to uh, find that common ground when the time was right I, I felt that I honestly perceived her as being the source of all of my problems when it was me the entire time
0: well, yeah, I mean, you've just hit the nail on the head for a lot of relationship issues, right? And yeah. what you're talking about, it's interesting, like the Enneagram is also what you're talking about in terms of the dynamic of your relationship. Some other people would maybe consider that or label that you were a little more of an anxious type, needing yes. that closeness. And that perhaps she was a little more of that avoided type needs that Uh, time alone to recharge it doesn't mean that she doesn't love you or isn't committed to you it's just that's her way of filling her own cup back up so just quickly for those listening the nine enneagram type descriptions and i think they're called different things depending on where you go but this is off the enneagram institute are number one the reformer number two the helper number three the achiever number four the individualist number five the investigator Number six, the loyalist. Number seven, the enthusiast. Eight, the challenger, and nine, the peacemaker. So go go check it out if you guys haven't. It might be a really profound experience for you. Um, Daniel, I'm curious, right? Your your story starts off with you uh, having a what you know you've written here as a lifelong struggle with anxiety and depression, and you know these are often I guess in my opinion, and I'm open to feedback and correction, but these things don't really ever completely go away. And so obviously this psychedelic experience was very profound and life changing for you, but I imagine you still would deal with certain levels of anxiety and depression today. Is that right? Or do you feel completely different?
1: Absolutely. I still experienced those things. In fact, it was only just a few days after the trip where the glow had to end. And I mm. had to experience the the down part of my cycle. You know, I, it was right. it was part of my journey to realize that we all cycle. Um, some of us more extreme. You know, I have I have uh, mental illness in my family, and so I was I was privy to the extremes of say bipolar, um, where the highs are extremely high, the lows are extremely low, and I I came to appreciate that I had to experience my lows. Um, I could not escape them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so basically the the journey the trip took me to a deep place within myself and then I came right back online with all of my patterns, all of my old uh, projections. And I essentially had this mission. Uh, and I mean, it was the most clear sense of certainty, um, the most profound guiding motivation I've ever experienced that I, I needed to, I needed to get back to that place and it it wasn't sort of this scrambling for the past. Or let me, let me go, let me go do another trip. It was honestly like, I don't ever want to do a trip again. Mm -hmm. I know that I can be this open, this cleared out, this, this at peace with myself. So let me figure out what that, what that means as far as me earning it. It was sort of like, honestly, it felt like a gift from God, you know, Mm -hmm. it felt like here's this, this example of what your life could be like. Here's what's possible
0: was, for you, yeah.
1: Exactly, here's what's possible. And because I knew that there was a there there, I, I was going to do everything in my power to get back to it because it was that good. By contrast of the, the anxiety and the depression, I still experience low dips. In fact, a few days ago, I was at the low end of my cycle. And it's, it's important to know that the the low is a part of the high that
0: mm-hmm.
1: that you should be that you can be grateful for the low just like when you were at low you can be grateful that you had the high it's sort well, of just like
0: polarity right like you know way. in order to understand what the highest high feels like we have to have something to compare it to
1: contrast right? yeah absolutely yeah. if
0: in fact if i kind of like prescribed to the belief that if everything was good all the time or great all the time and there were never any challenges life in my opinion, it would be pretty darn boring.
1: <laughs> well, it'd be flat. It would probably be pretty wouldn't flat. Be able to notice.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. So, I like the word "notice." Um, you also speak about body awareness. So, let's talk about that. What is? I have my idea of body awareness. But what does that mean to you? And how does someone actually become more attuned to their own body?
1: Well, see, this is really exciting for me because throughout all of this body awareness is essentially the magic portal. It's the key. It's mm-hmm. it's the place that I was able to get back to when all of my concepts and all of my words failed uh, because I wanted to understand, I wanted to hold what had happened in my mind so that I could replicate it so that I could structure it and and put a label on it and own it because that was just my ego. That was just me trying to control with my fear, um, trying to control this sense of perfection. Mm-hmm. And The body awareness was essentially, um, you know, first discovered for me probably through meditation. Um, But the, the the trip essentially took me to a deeper place. This the same body that I experienced my attention so so dispersed, so evenly dispersed throughout my body that I could feel my toes were alive, my fingers, I could feel into every every chakra, I could feel into um, places that I I didn't even, I was never really conscious of. And it filled me with such exuberance and excitement. I felt like a child again, and then I I realized that I, this is probably what I felt like a lot of the time, being a kid, just feeling excited and happy.
0: Mm-hmm. And as an
1: adult, I've become more and more in my head, and my energies have left my body, and I my body has begun to you know decay, and and um, and I've essentially been denying it the the powerful healing energy of of love and attention. And so as I've been putting my attention in my body and and studying the different um, spiritual masters and the, you know, uh, the somatic methods the the process of coming into awareness of the body, I, I realized just how much I was holding tension in places like my solar plexus or my pelvic floor, places that I'm Almost always unconscious of, and so when I first started to learn how to breathe deeper and slower, and put my attention in my solar plexus, I, I began to to recognize how tense it was there all the time. Mm. And and if you think of a tense, uh, you think of like a a tense muscle, or or the tense solar plexus is like a sponge. Uh, with with a fist around it, you know there mm. the, there's nothing. It can't soak up any of the of the the flow of, of blood and oxygen. It uh, it can't heal, and so it's it's a pretty well uh, you know documented scientific fact that we that we, when we hold tension, we hold emotions in the body, and we don't process them and let them out. They live there. They stay stored there. Yeah. And uh, that that trip for me was essentially an opportunity to just have. Everything that was like present in me at the time just jettisoned out. It was just this intense release of everything that I was holding on to. And so I was just open from head to toe. Um, And then slowly my patterns come back online and I start to tense up and I, but but now I'm conscious of it. So now part of my daily practice, I mean, it's more than just a daily practice. It's a moment to moment practice Mm. of staying connected with the breath and keeping my attention in the body while I'm engaged in what I'm doing. And ultimately, it's relaxation. Uh, if I were to just put it into a word, I would I would say that we need to learn to relax.
0: Mm-hmm. I think everybody does.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, but but everyone would be like, "Well, how do I do that?" Right? And everyone's yes. going to have a reason why that one practice doesn't work for them.
1: Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically got to uh, it, it, you're, you know, there's this there's this formula for change where you have to have a certain vision and a certain level of dissatisfaction. Um, And then when, when you have some first steps in place, then you can actually change, Mm. but you basically things have to get bad enough first. And that's what had happened to me. But then I also had the, the, the stark contrast of it getting really, really good all of a sudden. And had I, had I given in to the sensation that I wanted to hold on to that, and and not just accepted that I was going to be, honestly, when I came back from that trip, I was a fool. I was just giddy and stupid, and mm-hmm. I was I was oh, just nice. so I was so happy with myself and so happy to just make fart jokes and make you know make my kids laugh, and and I was not concerned with my seriousness anymore. I had I had basically integrated the fool.
0: Well, I feel like that's a little bit of the inner child coming out, the the childlike nature that we all have. Yes. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing, right?
1: It's extraordinary. I mean, it's just the best. And, you know, I I have this image of, you know, in Taoism, they talk about it like being held by the mother. Mm. And when you're in the mother's womb, you're utterly safe, relaxed. You don't have the concept of fear. You are relaxed head to toe and you are being nourished and nurtured by your environment. And so it's the first place and the only place where that's really true. So for me, it's, it's in a sense, it's getting back to the mother. It's, it's getting back to that place of feeling held and relaxed and safe. Mm -hmm. And I, I got this message that if basically all I needed to do, the the highest state of being I needed to accomplish was being that of a sleepy child, Mm
0: -hmm. just
1: be, totally okay with not being the guy that knows the answers not being the one that can fix the problem just be the guy that's there and who's open to love to giving love and being loved Mm -hmm.
0: I think that's really beautiful because I do know a lot of people that are so stuck in that fear state and that fear is like it's so restricting for them to go out socially to accept themselves and they're just in this like fight or flight state constantly, adrenaline constantly pumping. And that's such a stress inducing place to be. Um, And it's not so easy for everyone to go from that to being vulnerable and open and feeling safe and feeling comfortable. Um, But it's possible, right? And everyone's going to have a different journey, whether it takes the psychedelic experience, or it takes coaching or counseling or, or something else, it's just possible to get there. And I think it's just important for people to know that if they want it, it's there, it's possible for them. Yeah.
1: My buddy who is a movement coach says this uh, thing that he says, um, uh, an unconscious body can do the splits.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) So
1: much of what's keeping us tight and upright is our thought patterns, is yeah. our ego and our, our, our constructs of, of who we are and what the world is. And who we are is a weak, vulnerable warrior that has to fight for everything at the mm-hmm. extreme end. And then the world is this hostile place where nothing is given freely. Nothing is, it, it, that's actually just a construct. Mm. It's what I, what I learned when I stepped outside of that box was that there was a bigger world and that there was a symbiosis of relationship between myself and the people around me and the world around me yeah you know in, in in as far as ecosystems in places where they're trying to essentially heal the earth it's amazing how fast mother nature comes back it's amazing how fast and regenerative this world and this this thing called life is how resilient uh and it's really just I think of I think of fear as the absence of love, like mm-hmm. darkness is the absence of light. Yeah. I think of the the tension in in our bodies as the absence of putting attention and love there. And so it's a process, and it's painful, and it's called intentional suffering for a reason mm-hmm. because you do have to face the the you know the inner tragedies in order to find the treasures within.
0: Yeah, I think that's where people get stuck, right? Is is having to face like you said, the inner tragedy. It's like, that is, that is so damn scary for some people that they would rather sit in the discomfort of life versus face their own fears.
1: Absolutely. We're all stuck yeah. in patterns of escape,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: there is no escape. Ultimately, we pay for it one way or another. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that you talked about things being flat, if there was no up and down. Yeah. Well, you get to a place where you're, you're where I got to a flat place I got to a place where I was either, um, you know, I was I, I was smoking too much pot, or I was uh, um, watching so much television that I, I wasn't even in my own life. I, I uh, was escaping in and doing all kinds of things that were essentially flattening my experience to where I, I just felt kind of in a daze. Yeah, um, my People life do was that,
0: right. Yes. People escape into yeah, like you said, TV, uh, alcoholism um, porn addiction, gaming too much. It's like this alternate reality because escaping their real life feels more exciting. Right. And that's the the truth is life can be very mundane, right? It can be just kind of cruisy and a little boring sometimes. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's also life, right? (laughs) You're going to have weeks or months or years that feel sometimes just a little bit routine. And I think it's all, you know, it's about embracing that too. And I think, you know, particularly in relationships, when people get to a point where they're actually really comfortable in the relationship, they start seeking the highs elsewhere, right? Instead of realizing that, like, that's actually a nice sign that you're in a really nice, comfortable place in a relationship. And if you want to create a spark again, then it doesn't take a lot of effort to go back on a date or do something fun or relive an old memory right? Most people just say, oh, wow, we've gotten to this point. It's boring. Must mean we're no longer compatible. I'm out.
1: (laughs) I, I, I I'm amazed at, um, how I simply rejected the opportunity, opportunity after opportunity to just make uh, a date with my wife. Yeah. Yeah. To just, um, intentionally set something in my future that I could look forward to.
0: I think anticipation is half a life's pleasure.
1: <laughs> it is. I mean, yeah. it, it, I mean it, it literally is. The majority of the the positive emotion that you experience from things is in, in anticipation of the thing itself.
0: Totally. I've, I've had holidays booked and I was so excited for the holiday, thinking about what I'm going to do on it, what I'm going to pack. Uh, the holiday even got canceled. I still feel like I had a good portion of the enjoyment of it.
1: <laughs> yes, look forward <laughs> you know? to it. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so you use this concept lifestyle design, and that's got my curiosity peaked. Uh, what does this mean to you, lifestyle design?
1: Well, this is something that really my wife introduced me to. Uh, she's she's a student of uh, permaculture and. Permaculture is a, uh, um, a systems design, uh, lifestyle design, where you work with nature in um, mm-hmm. a symbiotic relationship to create a very um, efficient and low-maintenance uh, agricultural system. But, but really, lifestyle design is um, where you take a, a conscious look at what's happening in your environment, and you take a swing at it. You see what happens, you reassess and you redesign and lifestyle design for me, you know, it's, it's basically the, the game of life. And I'm trying to figure out how to get myself to do the things that I want to do. Because while I have been suffering with anxiety and depression for most of my life, I haven't had the emotional, uh, capacity. I haven't had the energy, the the fuel in the tank. It's been so consumed by just trying to cope and escape mm-hmm. that I haven't really been able to have much power when it comes to really doing things that I'm passionate about or, or would love to do with myself. Mm-hmm. And so learning how to maximize my energy and organize myself in time so that I can actually take meaningful steps towards something. Yeah. Um you know, a lot of times when we're looking at something that we want to accomplish, we just look at the mountain. We look at the, the very top and we think I got to get up there. Mm-hmm. And while it's useful to have a North star, you know, a, a, a place in the distant future that you are trying to aim towards or a, a high ideal of yourself that you're trying to aim towards. If you do not have uh, a, an eye on, you know, what's right in front of you, um, you you're never going to get there because, you know, it's the thousand of a uh, the journey of a thousand steps starts with one step.
0: Totally. And what is that step? And people need to often break it down, right? Because otherwise it just, it's too big. Sometimes the top of the mountains too far away.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. And as you ask that question, what is that one step for me? It's to relax for (laughs) me. It's self-acceptance. See, I, when I was when I was going through that transformation, I realized that all of my fears were were living inside me, but I was creating them in my life. Literally, my paranoia would make the thing true. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that idea that we draw our fears towards us. Well, it's true. I've mm-hmm. seen it with my own eyes. I've tested it in reality. And yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the first step for me has to be self-acceptance. Yeah. If I had not... Found out what that felt like. Uh, I I would still be thinking that Daniel was just um, uh, a little lonely, scared idiot that can't accomplish anything.
0: Mm.
1: And the difference now is that I see I see the part of me that that is true. I see the part of me that's limited. I see my limitations but I also have tremendous love for that little idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hold my inner child with, um, with the full acceptance of the fact that he is resentful and he's angry and he's sad and he's weak and vulnerable.
0: He needs a hug. And
1: he really needs a hug and I need to hug him. <laughs> yeah, That's the, that's the thing is I, I often, I often find um, myself and, and, the guys that I work with, the, the big point is, is like, do I heal or do I grow? You know, do I, do I, do I rest or do I push myself? Because most of the time the instinct is, is to like hook up to that archetypal father, push yourself further, go towards the ideal. You could be more than this. And the thing mm. is, is that you can't do anything until you're loved first.
0: Yeah. And you certainly can't expect someone else to love you if you don't know how to love yourself.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, my message to everyone is to find whatever works for you to feel love inside your body. And by that, I mean, literally relax,
0: mm-hmm.
1: breathe deeply into those places that are holding tension and put your attention there and allow whatever is coming up to come out. A lot of guys I talk to, they're, they're holding in their throat. They're constricting their throat yeah. unconsciously. So that um, could,
0: that could be somatic experiences. It could, uh, it could be uh, deep breathing. It could be Reiki. It could literally be going for a massage. I know people that have cried during massages because the, they're just allowing themselves to relax finally and that tension. They're feeling is being broken up. Right. And yes. so everyone's going to have a different, you know, method that may work more effectively for them. I remember I got qualified in Reiki. I don't use it on my clients. Maybe I should Um, because, you know, we're mostly doing sessions over Zoom. But uh, I remember that experience where I was laying on a table and just having someone, you know, channeling energy into parts of my body. And just I literally felt, you know, parts of my body moving and I wasn't being touched. And it's just a really for me, that was a really amazing experience, especially because I was challenging this. More logical side of me that was like this stuff is woo woo it's a bunch of crap but I was like I got to go experience it for myself uh, and it really really that experience really changed how I viewed that type of kind of healing healing work um, Daniel as we kind of wrap up here what I'm curious to know is you know what what kind of tips would you give someone if they wanted to explore the idea of having like a psychedelic experience obviously you had to have Uh, a a lot of knowledge on how to keep yourself safe what kind of dose to take Um, you know obviously I wouldn't recommend people just go for it unless they have an idea of what is going to be right for them is there anywhere that you'd guide them or or any kind of steps or advice that you would give
1: mainly I would suggest that if you're feeling the desire to do it and it's and it's unconstrained As in, I want, I really want to reset and I really want to understand what's there. I say, go for it. Mm -hmm. I would say that it's useful to have someone in the room that is someone that you trust. Mm -hmm. I say, above all, set and setting are extraordinarily important. Yeah. That you have a cleared mind, a cleared environment where nothing is, is overstimulating. Um, or is going to take you you out of yourself. Ultimately, it it may be plant medicine for you, but it doesn't have to be. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: See, for me, I needed something extreme. And I think most of us feel like we have to have something extreme. Mm -hmm. But it's actually the most subtle things that lead to this place, the same place. You were talking about Reiki and Mm -hmm. and there are countless schools of of healing and regeneration of self-understanding. I've read many, many different books in many different directions from the west to the east trying to understand and put words to this experience. Mm -hmm. But ultimately what it came down to was slowing my breath and relaxing into my body and looking for tense places and trying to put my attention into those places and accept whatever I find without trying to change it. Mm -hmm. The the daily process is far more powerful and far more lasting than any one single experience. So while you may be drawn towards an extreme experience and while you may have done it before and feel like that is what you must do again, my message is is that we can actually do this work together as a species to slowly train ourselves back to a place of self-acceptance and Mm self-responsibility.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that experience is really like a doorway to say, hey, this is possible for you to even do sober as mundane as Monday morning might be. You can get in touch with your body, how you're feeling, being aware of it, and uh and accepting it as well.
1: Well, the practice is basically the only thing that counts. I mm-hmm. mean, steadfastness stands taller than any success you can have one vivid experience which is beautiful and transformative but had i not done any of the work i couldn't have held on to it it wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't have um it wouldn't have translated as success it would yeah. have just been a blip on the radar
0: or a distant memory at some point right exactly yeah so daniel where can where can people reach out to you if they're curious to to talk about your experience in a little more depth or to reach out for some of the work you do how can how can they find you
1: Yeah, I would love to talk to anybody who wants to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, They can find me on Instagram at The Good Failure. Uh, They can find me, they can email me at danielhuntermoody at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. um i'm actually uh offering uh psychedelic debriefs essentially a trip debrief uh, i love talking to people about these experiences and essentially applying those lifestyle designs to figure out what it is that we learned what do we actually want to do with ourselves how do we make our lives look like what it is that we actually want
0: mm-hmm. okay fantastic so if people that have actually had that experience this is like an opportunity to to debrief and to, to actually take the lessons and apply them exactly wow yeah fantastic I think that'd be valuable so I think there's a lot of people that will have those experiences and then they you know I'm talking from inexperience here because I haven't done that myself but I imagine that they would then go back to chase that experience versus learning how to kind of apply just little bits on a daily basis into their lives um Daniel, it was so fantastic having you on. I, I really just thoroughly enjoy just the poeticness of your words. And uh, I feel like the last 50 minutes has flown by so quickly. Um, I genuinely appreciate you. Any any last words for anyone or any final thoughts that you have while we close off here?
1: I say we should all learn to be gentle with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are deserving. Uh, it is our it is our base default that we love ourselves and love each other and the journey is simply getting back to that place
0: yeah beautiful thank you so much thank you guys for tuning in to another episode this week look forward to bringing you another one next week take care for now ciao